In a world where chips are made and leaders are elevated, we believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Goldner, and I'm joined by manufacturing's best communicator, Jason Zinger. <laughs> You're hilarious. Did that sound good? <laughs> that sounded really good. I don't think I'm manufacturing's best communicator, though, but thank you. Well, I tried to improve my communication and sound like it was like a, a movie trailer. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool. It's hard to have a deep voice like that. I have a, hi, my name is Nick, and this is Making Chips. <laughs> yeah, I have that kind of voice, too. So, <laughs> Well, I did my best. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. How are you? It's good. It's good communicating with you today. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about communication. Yeah, Nick, I'm always excited to talk about ways to better communicate because I think that that's probably the number one thing that a manufacturing leader can learn to do better is learn how to better communicate. So, and I think that your episode is is more on like kind of the practical tactical side, so it's going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, it's going to be about the it's tools. It's more about the tools. Yeah, some communication tools. So, we have a couple manufacturing leaders hosting the show. We have a podcast, so we have a communication vehicle, and we have two tools. I think we've got it all covered. I think we got it all. All right. So, before we get into it, we always start with a positive kickoff. Tell me something positive about yourself, man, or your business. You know, things are starting to get really busy and we have a lot of great opportunities on there for new, what we call our VIP program. So our vending integration and productivity program. What we're seeing out in the marketplace is that our big national competitors, and I won't say them by name, but one has three letters and the other one sounds like Zenger. They, they're not investing in the people, the experienced people in particular. And I think that that's really not going to do them great service in the future. And that's where I think we're going to really excel is like, we can go into one of our clients and we can actually get the job done. We can make improvements. We can communicate effectively with them. A lot of times our competitors, they'll be like, well, call an 800 number or fill out this form or you know, something that sounds very corporate. Like and, dealing with Comcast. Yeah, like dealing with Comcast. That's, ver- that's a very good point. And I think where... I, I don't think manufacturing leaders are going to stand for that for very long. They want things to be taken care of and they've got you know production on the line that needs to get done and they want people to be able to strike and, and make changes. Like, for example... I don't have to get involved in a lot of like the day-to-day stuff, but sometimes when things go wrong, you know, the COO of one of our clients needs to know that he can call me as the owner of the company and say, Jason, I need you to get involved with this and solve this problem. Sure. You know, sure. and a lot of times when when a client goes to like one of our national competitors, it's like the person out in the field who is the only person that they have contact with on a personal level, they can't do anything. Right. You know what I mean? They can make a request and they can fill out a form or the client can call an 800 number, but I can actually get the job done. Sure. And, you know, as manufacturing is going to start to heat up, as it already has heated up, I think that that's going to be the silver bullet. Gotcha. Well, that's good. I got a story, though, too. I have a I have a positive story that started as a very negative story. It's like the whole what goes around comes around thing. What's your story, Nick? Okay, so... It was a couple of years ago, a rodent, like a mouse or something, chewed through some wires. So they make the the old, older wires in buildings were made out of like a soy-based material. Oh, that sounds yummy. And to, to a mouse, right? And it like fried the whole shop and like shut us down for a while. And it, so it was a big, it was a big challenge. Well, I just got back from a sales trip to St. Louis and on my way back, we in central Illinois, we stopped at a customer. And the reason we were there is because 
the same thing happened to them. It was a squirrel and it like caught the whole place on fire. And so the whole place like goes up in flames and they have all this insurance stuff to deal with. And there was 50 fixtures that were damaged. Well, we make fixtures. Oh, so they need to replace them. Yeah. So Great. It, so it ended up working out. You know, do they need new new cutting tools? <laughs> I don't know. I Can you ask them? And I will close ask. the sale for me? Yeah. But I mean, it's nice how these little rodents can sometimes come in handy. <laughs> that's, that's a funny story. <laughs> that's a funny story. So do you have any manufacturing news for I us? I do. Yeah. I will get right into it. So this news comes from NAM. And as I open the article here- What is NAM? NAM is the National Association for Manufacturers? That's it. So this is about Timmins, who's the head of NAM. And he's defending tax reform and he's advocating for investment incentives for manufacturers at Congress. So does that have to do with when you buy a piece of capital equipment, expensing everything in that year that instead of having to depreciate it over a period of time? Yes, exactly. So I'll just kind of hit the main points of the article. The NAM president and CEO, Jay Timmons, testified before the Senate Committee on Finance on Tuesday, and he was looking to push forward a post-partisan consensus on a number of key manufacturing priorities. Here are the priorities. The first is the pandemic response. And basically, he's just saying, today, one year after health restrictions began, the light at the end of the tunnel is growing brighter by the second, thanks to the innovation of pharmaceutical manufacturers. Their heroic work, combined with the previous administration's Operation Warp Speed, and this Congress and this administration's focus on the investment in vaccine distribution is now saving about 2 million American lives every single day. Well, I mean, I during the height of the pandemic, I dealt a lot with manufacturers that were making anywhere from, you know, ventilator parts to equipment that had to do with making syringes. I mean, like all of the above. So, I mean, I was caught up in that a lot. I know how quickly that these manufacturers moved and, you know, kudos to them for, for doing that. I know one of the things I, we were also selling a lot of N95s and or, the masks, right? Yeah, we weren't. Yeah. And one of the manufacturers of ventilator parts, you know, kind of chewed me out because he's like, how come I can go into my shop and make a bunch of ventilator parts and you can't, you know, ship N95s to me? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not manufacturing the N95s. I'm a distributor for them. So it wasn't a matter of that. These N95s weren't being manufactured. It was just a matter of that. The government was using using the, the DPA or the Defense Production Act to take all the inventory. And okay. So it was being offset in other locations. So they take it just to, in case this happens again, we have a safety well, they or? No, they take it because they were giving, pri the government wanted to give priority to where it should be given priority. Gotcha. Well, okay. So the next point Timmons made is about supply chains, of which you're a critical part. His three recommendations for supply chains are, number one, the need for predictability and stability in the tax code. Timmons spoke about the benefits of tax reform for manufacturers. He reinforced how the industry has kept its promise after the historic law was passed and asked Congress to protect the benefits the law provided. Do you know specifically what law was passed? It doesn't really say here. Well, I, I believe that every once in a while that the government has to pass a law or extend the law that makes it so you can completely write off a piece of capital equipment. So that's always being kind of like 
rebooted and kicked down the street because normally you would have to depreciate that over a period I think of that time. is what it is because that's yeah. his third point. So the, so the second point is a need for a tax code that supports innovation specifically by preserving manufacturers' ability to invest in research and development. So also research and development could just have to do with the, the R&D tax credit, which every manufacturer out there should look into and should get involved in. They've, they've even extended that out to distributors like ourselves. So we actually take, we participate in the R&D tax credit. So I'm not a lawyer and accountant, so don't kind of quote me on this, but essentially the way it works for us as a distributor is that, you know, a client will come to us and say, we need to do X, Y, and Z like this. And then we, I employ my team to make changes to their recommendation and say, no, instead of doing that, you should do it this way because it's better. And then we get to write off the R and D that's involved in making those recommendations. Sure. Sure. But for manufacturers, they also R and D tax credits are are a big way for manufacturers to save money. And if you're not doing it now, there's some you know firms that specialize in helping you to do that. So, gotcha. And you know, I'd be happy to help and contact me if you need those references. I know we work with uh, our accounting firm, uh, just trying to make sure we're getting all the benefits of the R and D tax yeah. credit. A lot of times, your general CPA though isn't as good at it as you know, like these specialists. These specialists. Sure. Yeah. So here's the third one: the need to recognize that policies that are successful in growing manufacturing will require significant capital expenditures by the small and medium-sized firms that are the backbone of our domestic supply chain. And I think that goes to what you were talking about with, um, uh, what is it, like bonus depreciation? What well, You mentioned uh, something. When you purchase a, a piece of capital equipment, you let's just say you're a manufacturer and at the end of the year, you have a quarter of a million dollars in profit. And you purchase a piece of capital equipment for a quarter of a million dollars. Instead of paying the taxes on that quarter of a million dollars, you can essentially write your profit down to zero. So oh, that's, and that, awesome. that's what's helpful. So so those are the three recommendations that he he was in favor of, but there was a couple challenges as well. So here's the two proposed changes to the tax code that he believes would make it more difficult for these businesses to invest. More stringent limitations on interest deductions and the phase out of immediate expensing will take effect in the years ahead. If not reversed, these changes will make it hard to grow manufacturing. So I think that what you just described is where you can deduct the interest and the immediate expensing with like bonus depreciation. It sounds like they're going to try to phase that out and that I know just from conversations with my brother, who's our finance guy and my dad, like we, we make investments in, in large part. Because you buy equipment a lot of times because you get that right off right away. And then it's not, I would say a lot of manufacturers and, you know, they're still going to make capital equipment purchases regardless, but some of them might say, well, can we do this another way? instead of buying that piece of capital equipment. Or maybe it becomes a situation where it becomes more favorable to manufacture those parts in another country, which is obviously That's not, not what we goal. want. Sure. So he leaves with a couple questions to consider. He closed by asking a series of questions about whether America would meet its moment, including by ensuring competitive tax rates, investing in infrastructure, developing trade agreements that protect American workers, and enacting comprehensive immigration reform that offers a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Yeah, and I think that any, you know, reasonable American would want to have a path of pathway of citizenship for people that are here. I mean, let's just put together something that's reasonable. Let's figure it out now and let's let's get out of our own way. Yeah, I let's mean, get out of our own way. I mean, like, you know, we need more people in manufacturing if there's, you know, law-abiding people that are here that let's let's give them a pathway to citizenship. I, I mean, totally let's agree. let's not 
do things under the table. Exactly. So his response to those questions is, if the answer to those questions is yes, if we tackle these fundamental issues, then I'm certain that this next world that we are building in the aftermath of the pandemic will be built by American workers and American factories, restoring American leadership in the world. I like that. Go, Jay. Yeah, really well communicated. So speaking of communicating well, I have some tools and I'm going to I'm going to give those tools to the metalworking nation because at the end of the day, communication isn't this fluffy idea that's going to have, you know, you're going to get along with everybody better. There's real financial implications to poor communication. Oh, there really is. And and that was one of the things that I was, you know, seeing in my company at one point is that we weren't communicating with each other very well and there was like, you know, infighting and, you know, stuff like that. And we for our for our book club that we do, we actually studied a book called Crucial Conversations. I read that book yeah, per your a, recommendation. It, it's a great book and, you know, I would I would highly recommend it's it's very it's a weighty book you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's not like you know a picture book like like Jim likes to read it's a weighty book <laughs> but it really helped us to communicate better with each other and get the tools in order to do that. I mean, we read the whole company. I mean, we had everybody from, you know, myself as the owner to, you know, shipping and receiving. And, you know, I mean, everybody was there and I think everybody got something out of it. But it has to do, you know, one of the main premises is focusing on your, what you have in common, like the goal that you're trying to reach together. So I have a funny story about a conversation where the stakes were really high. Emotions were really high. Great. And uh, yeah, I'm going to tell it. So this, I'm going to leave the names out of it because these, these are people and brands that this audience would recognize. So someone who worked for our company maybe eight years ago, r- roughly eight, Give eight him a name. years ago, we're going to call him Mr. Douglas. So Mr. Douglas, who worked for our company. Can we just call him Doug? We're going to call him Doug. Okay. So Doug Hennig, our company, we, we missed some parts on something. And Doug went to go bring these parts back to a big, famous OEM. What's his name? Is we're it gonna big call machine him, tool company? Yeah, yeah. We're going to call this leader Roberto. Okay, so Doug goes to Roberto. This guy's like from from Europe, very like proud, high energy, you know, high intensity guy. And as Doug's walking up with these parts that we needed to get to them so that they could complete their machine and ship it, Roberto sees Doug approaching and says, don't even let him in. He was so pissed. So Roberto doesn't let Doug in. Doug, you know, hits the intercom outside the building and says, I, I have these parts and I know you need them. Can I please just drop them off? Roberto says, let him in and put him in the conference room. So they let him in. They put him in the conference room. He sits by himself for five, 10 minutes. And then Roberto brings his whole executive team into the conference room and they surround Doug. And so Roberto proceeds to aggressively rip into Doug. And he stands up and walks over to Doug and yells into Doug's face and he kept, keeps poking him. Oh, so he got not only verbally aggressive, but physically yeah, aggressive. Yeah, he starts poking him with his Yikes. finger in Doug's chest. And Doug takes it, you know, like like any sales guy who's got to apologize, you, you have to take it. But after after the third or fourth poke... This wasn't like a like a virtual poke like on Facebook. Right? No, no. This no, is this like a physical poke. poking him in the chest like you would a boy, like a little boy who's in trouble. And after the third or fourth poke, Doug says, Roberto, I'm here to apologize and I brought the parts to fix the problem. But if you poke me again, I might break your finger. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and so my favorite part of the story is Roberto sits down, they talk about the solution And Doug and Roberto remained friends for 10 years. After Roberto sold the company, he would call Doug and see how he was doing. (laughs) That's great. So, yeah. And, and, you know, the great thing about that is, like, you know, Doug started this off with, like, you know, 
these are my convictions. You can't physically touch me. And hey, I'm here to solve your problem. Sure. So that's that was that was good communication in a very brief standpoint. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I mean, is that recommended? Probably not, but it worked out. So it's a good it's a good story to tell. You know, Jim, we talk about people and culture a lot on making chips. We do. But the numbers are important. The numbers don't lie. The scorecards, you got to pay attention to them. They just don't lie. And I have to tell you, now that we implemented ProShop, I have access to real-time data that we never had before. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. For instance, part of the structure of our quarterly meetings that you're familiar with is to look at the numbers, right? You review the numbers. Yeah. You got your scorecard. It used to be an arduous process to extract those numbers from our old ERP or old accounting software and report on them. I used to have to delegate those reports to our bookkeeper or simply do it a day or so before. I hear you. Now those meetings, I can go right to the work by industry dashboard and toggle between sales volume by customer using date filters for any time period. Oh, that's fantastic. It is. You have no idea how helpful it is. So glad I chose ProShop for our company. So what tools do you have, Nick? I'm I'm, I'm ready to hear about it. I have six tools here. And the first tool is called a Reiki chart. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. No, no, but I'm interested. So I will give you the actual Google definition of a Reiki chart, and then I'll explain how I use it. And I'm looking it up here as we're talking. So a Reiki chart is a responsibility assignment matrix. So imagine like a table, like an Excel table. And on one axis, you have the roles or the functions in your business. And on the other axis, you have the responsibilities, whether it be like a communication task or a production task or whatever. And so then that creates cells. And in each of the cells, there's an R, an A, a C, and an I. And what that means is, are you accountable for getting the task done? Is it ultimately your job to either do it yourself or delegate it and ensure that it gets done? That's the A. The R is, are you responsible? Meaning, is it your task to do? You're the one who completes it. Are you consulted, meaning you provide input based on your domain of expertise, like so you're in copy and you provide input into it, or I is just like an FYI, you're just in copy just to stay abreast of the situation. Okay, so just to go back through this Reiki chart, which is R-A-C-I, it kind of sounds like kind of like a like a modified accountability chart or like kind of part of your job description or something like that but it tells you are you are responsible which means you're the actual person doing the thing sure are you accountable which would be like you're the person that makes sure the other person does the thing are you consulted which means like you're the expert and they go to you when they need you or are you informed which means you're just part of a group that gets, you know, CC'd on an email or something like that when the thing is done. So I like to use this in like the, the how we communicate with a customer for a new opportunity. A different person's going to be responsible for the initial contact and the visit with the customer than uh, sending the quote to the customer. But that same person who started the initial visit, like my regional sales director, is going to want to be consulted on how we're creating the quote and copied when we send the quote. So that's the I. So, you know, what we have in the past at our company is a lot of 
we'll make sure it gets done, but it's not like clearly articulated in a chart. Who's going to do what? Who's going to be in copy? Who's who's going to be expected to provide input? And ultimately, who's going to be held accountable if that thing? So have, get done. you've started utilizing this in your organization? Yeah, and it was. Uh, is it part of their job description, or what is it? Or is it just part no, of a it's process just, flow? Yeah, it's like a process flow, like a communication as, assignment matrix. I think uh, Google gets it right. So it just describes the participation by the various roles in completing tasks or deliverables for a project or a business process. And I use it for like like the sales process naturally because that's what I do. So I like it. What's the next thing? That one is a really valuable one, but it was, I got to say it was hard to sell because at first it was like, what the heck is Reiki and whatever. After we started using it, now it's like, hey, we need a Reiki chart for this. So mm, that's good. You have to be persistent. The next one is the approval drawing. Like we're a bunch of manufacturers. We send out approval drawings. Yeah, blueprints and everything. Yeah. And so in a business that does design and build work, there's a lot of changes and iterations between, you know, where the idea starts and what ends up getting sold to the customer. And that final that final drawing that you send out for approval that they sign off on is very important. But you should look at that. Yeah, exactly. But the approval drawing sometimes isn't enough. No, sometimes you need to say, you know what? I need you to look at this because I know I've been in situations where, you know, you trust the person on the other side and you sign off on something. I think the same thing goes for like legal documents. Yeah, like, exactly. you, you know, you quickly read through a legal document and then it's like, you know, a year later when you're caught in a situation, you're like, oh crap, like what did I just sign? And I think that same thing has to happen for approval drawings. I, I, I'm terrible at, I don't have the patience for approval drawings or legal documents. So I used to have my integrator used to review all that kind of stuff for me. And he would just, you know, kind of outline, this is what I, this is what I recommend that you should be concerned about. And then I would have the ability to be able to make a decision on that or read the whole through the whole thing myself. But it's necessary. And, you know, it, it's kind of a two-way street. It's like, you know, I just sent you a drawing. This is what I understand of what needs to be changed. You know, I really need you to look at this thing before you sign off on it. Sure. And so the, the point here isn't so much about the approval drawing, because that's a pretty standard practice across the industry. The point is about, okay, so yes, the approval drawing protects the manufacturer and it protects the customer because, hey, let's go back to the drawing. Did we make what the drawing said? But What I'm instituting at our company is at a certain level, a certain value, dollar value of the opportunity, I'm instituting an approval drawing review with the customer. I actually have a story about how an approval drawing wasn't enough, and it's why I'm creating what what I'm going to call like an approval review meeting. So there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of iterations. And by the time the approval drawing made it to the customer, there were some features that had been discussed verbally that we wanted to take out of the drawing to reduce the cost. That makes sense. I mean, customers are always putting pressure on price. And our engineers took out some features that they wanted included, along with a bunch of other features that we took out. So they approved the drawing, expecting it to have certain features. Because like the file was extremely large, the difference in the file of having the features or not having the features wasn't like glaringly obvious. And so it gets to the end, the product ships, and there's some key features. Key features from their perspective. Yeah, and th- that were not included. So now it's like, okay, we have to go back. Well, what did the drawing say? Well, the drawing said this. And we made it to the drawing. So technically, we're, we're okay, right? And they're saying, well, we talked about so many different things. Why would you take that feature out? And I'm like, 
okay, yeah, I mean, maybe I have the customer dead to rights because they signed the approval drawing, but what can we do to be better? And what we can do to be better is that review meeting where you go through line by line, you look at the drawing and you say, okay, so we've done this, we've done that, we made this change, we made that change. Here's what the approval drawing shows. You can see it for yourself. You have a copy. Are we good to go? They say yes. And we probably couldn't do that with every single opportunity, but the big ones, I learned from this mistake. And it's like, okay, we're going to have an approval review meeting. I like that. That's a great way of raising your level of communication in this situation of, of selling engineer parts. I like that. We have to work together with our customers. My next tool is about something called like a PCP program, a premier channel partner program. The tool I'm going to talk about is a QBR or a quarterly business review. Oh, I like this because we're, we're doing that same thing too. So I sell like through you. Mm -hmm. You're a distributor, industrial supplier. I sell through machine tool dealers quite often. And Mm -hmm. these partners can buy, you could buy anyone's fixture. Right. You don't have a contract that says, hey, I only buy Amrock fixtures or I only buy Hennig conveyors. Well, the same goes for machine tool dealers. So I'm creating programs where, okay, these channel partners are, they're incentivized to grow their sales for my product. So you want to sit down with them in a very deliberate manner every single quarter. It's kind of like you do with your own team. It's right. Like, you know, you sit down with like your I would with the sales guy. Yeah, and you want to do that. You want to do that with your clients as well. That makes sense. Exactly. So my sales guys rely on these channel partners to hit their number. So they have meetings called quarterly business reviews with their key channel partners, and they say, okay, we did this level of sales last quarter, and we're on this pace to hit our targets. If we hit our targets, it unlocks these rewards or whatever. So now when I manage my salesperson, I can be like, hey, how are your PCPs? How are your channel partners doing? Yeah. And I think that anybody can do this with their major clients or with any of their clients. And that's something that we're doing like in our VIP program is we're saying, okay, we need to sit down with you as a client and review this partnership on a quarterly basis and find out, you know, where can we make improvements or, you know, where is there a lapse in communication or expectations? So I like that. When I was creating these programs, I got a lot of voice of the customer feedback and no one said, hey, if you if you create this program, you'll get 100% of our business. But in every case, they said, hey, you know, that could be what the difference maker. So it's just something to add. And to your point, anyone could do it. It's just having some creativity to do it, uh, to do more than just sell, sell them the product. The next one is something, again, you introduced to me. It's brand script. The story brand script. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the brand is story brand and they help companies clarify their messaging and tell a clear, coherent story. Yeah. So like making chips as a marketing agency, we're a story brand certified agency. Exactly. We have, you know, a certified story brand consultant that could lead you through this if you have a hard time communicating a clear story, which so many manufacturers Oh, do. so many of them. We, we actually working with a client right now called Equity Machine Works. And, you know, the gentleman that, that runs the company, I think he really wants to do some great things, but he wants to do like, 25 great things at one time. And our story brand certified consultant sat down with him and she really clarified his message. Cause I think that what he's trying to do, I'm guilty of that same thing. Like yeah. I, it's almost like you talk to somebody and you tell them so many different things at one time that they don't know anything. I mean, when that he first do. talked to us, we, we were like, man, that guy's awesome. What do they do? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he's really trying to do some great things out there. And then and then you just forget exactly, well, what are they good at and what do they do specifically? So that's what story brand can do to help you. But the tool I'm talking about is called the brand script. And every story, every like movie that you watch kind of follows the same journey where you have a character who faces a problem. Then he ends up meeting a guide who gives them a plan calls them to action, they 
achieve success or they avoid failure. And that's kind of, you know, think of like any Star Wars, right? You have Luke Skywalker, he meets Yoda. Yoda says, hey, use the force and save the world, right? So it helps brands who kind of suck at telling great, compelling stories, think of themselves as the guide in the story and how can they make their customer or the hero successful? How can they have them achieve I've got an example of this. Let's hear it. So when we were defining our core values as a company, I put together a speech that I was going to deliver to my team, just basically outlining the core values, why we were doing it, why it mattered, how it was going to impact us in the future. And when I put together this speech, it didn't feel like the right speech. So at that time, StoryBrand was offering consulting that you could pay for by the hour. And I went to them and I explained to them what I was trying to accomplish. And they were like, here's what you're doing and why it's all wrong. You're talking about this from your perspective as the owner. You need to be talking about this from the perspective of your team and making yourself the guide in this journey and making them the hero in the story and why it matters to them. And so like having that story brand script really helped me to put together an effective way to communicate, you know, our new core values. And so, I mean, this is a real thing that really helps you to communicate well. Yeah, absolutely. And I use it all the time for, you know, when I do client proposals and everything like that. So the next tool came from my brother. One of the things my brother did when he got into the COO position at Hennig was he adjusted our uh, mission statement to making your customers successful. So the brand script is actually something we use for this as well to make sure that the story isn't about how Hennig makes themselves successful. It's how we make our, our customers yeah, successful. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I'm so great. But my brother's a lean guy, you know, so he's value stream maps, 5S, you know, he's like a lean guru, he comes from an operations background, and he's created something called a process success map. So let's say there's three different operations in a process, and then it goes to shipping, and then it ships to the customer. You start at the end of the process, like shipping, and they define what they need to be successful. So they would say, okay, I need all the parts assembled in in a a certain manner. I need uh, the router to be in a certain position. I need to know what type of crating the the product requires, what type of packaging it requires, what type of literature to send inside the package, whatever they need from the step before. They define, okay, this is what it takes to make me successful. And then the third operation step says, okay, this is what it takes for me to do the third operation successfully. The second operation defines it for the first operation. The first operation may define it for the engineering and the applications team. The applications team may define what makes them successful for the salesperson who brings them the initial inputs. So by starting the furthest downstream process and saying, I can be successful if I have it this way, we're able to be really empathetic to the next person in line. And the PSM is is great when you actually measure how often were you complete and accurate with providing successful requirements to the next. Yeah, because I mean, if if you don't quite understand what the person downstream from you needs, you're maybe not effectively communicating or doing the job correctly. And let them define it. Instead of you being like, okay, here's what I think you need. Yeah. And so that's a PSM or a process success map. That's a shout out to my brother Noah who created that. It's a lot like a value stream map, but it ties in our mission of making our customers successful into the into the process. Great. The last tool is the VOC program or the voice of the customer program. Yeah, I like this one. 
And so a lot of companies have uh, some sort of feedback mechanism. I think you're supposed to even for ISO, but I don't think a lot of companies have an actual program like, okay, this is our voice of the customer program. Yeah, this is how we capture it. This is, you know, what we do with it. So we have a customer success specialist, and this is a huge part of his job, is to, let's say, all the sources that we can get feedback. We can get feedback on our website. We can get feedback via email. We can get feedback verbally in a phone communication. We can get feedback on a customer visit. We can get feedback internally from something that they heard a competitor say. There's all these different sources. But the question is, what do you do with that when you get the feedback? Right. So most people do nothing with it. Anytime there's a voice of the customer information, whether it's related to our response time, whether it's related to our price, our product quality, whatever it is, send it to the customer success specialist. He's trained to pull out what the VOC is. He's trained to categorize it by the source, categorize it by the the type of issue that it is, like price or lead time or quality or whatever, and build a report on, okay, here's all the issues. We've we've paraded the issues. This seems to be a common theme for this business unit. And then he works with quality in our continuous improvement teams to build in some sort of corrective action. And a lot of times the VOC is positive. So the corrective action is let's keep doing that and let's maybe see if that customer will do a positive uh, customer testimonial video with us. But anytime it's negative and there's themes to the negative, it's, it helps us identify, okay, like these are the biggest holes in the rowboat. Let's fix that first. Makes sense. I like it. I do like all of these, you know, different tools that you came up with, Nick. So I'm going to go back through the different tools. So the first one is the Reiki chart. And then the next one is a, an approval or engineering drawing review. The next one is a QBR or quarterly business review. The next one is a brand script or more specifically a story brand brand script. Next, a a process success map, or as Nick was saying, a PSM. And then lastly, the VOC program or the voice of the customer. I like these, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I could probably do better is the voice of the customer program. I think I need to, um, or I can even call it voice of the client, depending on the language sure. you want to do. But I mean, I, I could get better at collecting that information and utilizing it correctly. And that's something that as making chips, we really want. So we want the voice of our audience. You're our customer. If you listen to the podcast, and so tell us what you like about the podcast. Tell us what you what you don't like about the podcast. What would you change? You can give us feedback directly on our website. You can email us at info at makingchips. I get a lot of feedback on LinkedIn. Yeah. So if you go to LinkedIn.com slash in slash Jason Zenger, I'm, you know, just ping me right there. Oh, you got your own name. Good job. And then, of course, the best thing you can do if you like a podcast is leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher that you use. Yeah, but you hear our voice. We want to hear your voice. Absolutely. You can also call us at 312-725-0245, and you can leave a voicemail message for us. And if you want to ask us a question, we can feature that on the show, too. And there's a text number, but I don't know what it is. You could use that same number for texting. Okay, gotcha. There's there's like a short text number. You could text chips to whatever. I, I rely on Jim, who's not here today to tell me what that number right, is so you'll have to listen to a different episode but we gave you 19 different ways to get feedback to us so just choose one of them what we've learned as we've built this podcast is that if you can't communicate effectively your company won't be making chips and if you're not making chips you're not making money bam as always thank you for listening to the making chips podcast you need to increase the speed and feet of your business if you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. 
gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. I don't know what I don't know how to interject with this. Oh, sorry. I was. Uh, Do I have show notes? Pause. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about communication. We're gonna talk about communicating. We haven't communicated with Full each other. Full stop. Very well. End of episode. <laughs> <laughs>